Hey everyone, this is Chris Vaught, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Pursuit Podcast, where our passion is to inspire and equip you with biblical truths as you pursue after the heart of God. Uh, back in Kentucky, one of the churches I was pastoring, uh, when I went there, one of the deacons one time wanted to tell me a story about a, a pastor who had been there long before I'd been there. He was an older gentleman. He was a card. Man, I'm telling you, he was hilarious. His name was Brother Blouse. And I remember this deacon telling me how he and Brother Blouse went on some visitation one week. And they walked up to a house. I don't know how many of you have ever been on uh, door-to-door visitation, you know, where you don't, you haven't invi- been invited. <laughs> you just show up, knock on a door, and try to talk to someone. You do that today, you probably, you know, not get a warm reception. Back in the day, you know, it wasn't so uh, taboo. But, but they went out on visitation, right? And, uh, and Pastor Blouse knocked on this door. This woman opened the door. He'd never been there before. She didn't know him. He didn't know her. And he introduces him and says, hey, I'm Pastor Blouse from such and such church. This is my deacon and gave the name. And they just kind of had some chit-chat right there, just real short there at the door. Wasn't a lot of openness there. The door's barely cracked. And all of a sudden, Brother Blouse said, hey, woman. You know, they're talking. Hey, woman, you got any coffee in that house? And it startled her. And she didn't know how to answer. And then she finally came back and said, why, yes, we have some coffee in this house, and uh, come on in. Got, got in, brought them in, set them down at the table. She went on in the kitchen to cook the, to make the coffee. Brother Blouse looked back at the deacon and said, Remember this, son, you've gotten nowhere with no one until you've gotten around their table. That was deep. You've gotten nowhere with no one till you've gotten around the table. There's something powerful that happens when people sit down at a table together, when you enjoy a meal together or just simply a cup of coffee. Something happens. The defenses start going down and real connections start being made. Now go with me 3,400 years ago as the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They're coming into the wilderness. They come to a mountain. They call, we call it a, a mountain that God met with his people, Mount Sinai, right? Mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up. You know the story. He gets the Ten Commandments there. But there's another moment that happens on top of that mountain that you may have never even caught. You may have read the verse in the Bible and never even caught what really happened or the significance of that moment as the people of Israel are coming out of Egypt they come up God at one point allows not just Moses to come up the mountain but he allows the elders of Israel to come up at least to a certain height on the mountain and when the elders come up with Moses there's a quick moment that they get to behold a little bit of the glory of God And in Exodus chapter 24, you'll just have to write it down. Exodus chapter 24, verse 11, you can read it. When you do, you might miss it if you don't slow down and read the Bible. Remember I tell you all the time, don't just read the Bible, read the Bible. Look into the verse. Exodus 24, 11 says, And God did not harm the Israelite nobles. They saw him. Here's the key. And they ate and drank. 
There's a picture here that when the Israelite elders went up with Moses on top of this mountain, there for a split moment, they got to behold the glory of God. And then something miraculous happened. They had a meal on the mountain of God with God. They had a meal. There is something about having a meal together. In fact, in ancient times, uh, many times a covenant made between two parties was sealed around the table with a meal. And I want you to know what God did when he brought them up out of Egypt. He was reminding the Israelites of the covenant he made with Father Abraham that he would send a deliverer. And then again through Isaac and down through Joseph that the days would come. And even though they were in Egypt for 430 years, that God would deliver them and bring them back to a land that God promised them through Abraham. So what happened on the mountain that day was is God set them down for a meal to commemorate the covenant that God had made with them, that he would deliver them and bring them into the promised land. This gets better. Because then after they come off the mountain, and God begins to lay out to Moses the design for this tabernacle, this tent of meeting that we've been studying the last few weeks. As God began to lay out the tabernacle, the first stop is you come through the gate and you stop at the burnt offering. And there you receive the blood atonement for the sacrifice for your sin. Then you go to the laver for washing. And that's where the priest spends most of his time. Then you go into the actual tent, the tabernacle, the holy place. And the first stop you come into at the holy place is what God told Moses to make sure is inside the holy place in the tabernacle. God said, build a table. Here's a picture of what that table most likely looked like. Let's put a picture up there for everyone to see. There we go. God had them to build this table and he set it up so that when they came into the holy place, there would be a place to gather and commune with God to both be reminded of the covenant of what God has done. This place, on your message notes here, I want you to write this down. This would become known as the table of the bread of presence. Say this with me. The table of the bread of presence. Now, the reason it's called the table of the bread of presence is that in the Hebrew... In the Hebrew, it literally means this is the table of face bread. The table of face bread. And the symbol here is, is that this table, whenever the priests walk into the holy place, is to always be in the face of the priest. How many of you have ever had somebody get up in your face? Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah, right? Anybody else? All right. How, how many of you have ever said to somebody, don't get up in my face? Right, why? Because, because you're getting in personal zone here, right? Personal area. You're, you're getting in my personal space. It's kind of aggressive. Good. Because that's exactly what God did with the table of face bread. God wanted the priests when they walked in the room to be reminded for this to be in their face. That God is the one who gave them a covenant that he would deliver them and take them safely to the promised land. But wait a minute. It was also symbolic of being in the face of God. 
So not only was it in the priest's face, but also in the face of God, it was to serve as a reminder, not just to us, that God has made a covenant with us and that through Uh, through the very first prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that one day God, through the seed of a woman, would send a Messiah, a deliverer, Jesus, but it's also a standing reminder in the face of God that God, no matter our sins and our stiff-neckedness and our rebellion, that God is reminded, I've made a covenant with them as well. Somebody ought to shout, that's good. Thank God for some face bread every once in a while. Amen. To remind us, but it also reminds God of the covenant He has made. So you come into the table, uh, the table of face bread, and you've got this table here. Look at Exodus chapter 37, verse 10. They're on your message notes. Let's read the scriptures out loud. Everyone, come on. He constructed the table of Achaia wood, 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, 27 inches high. He overlaid it with pure gold. It made a gold molding all around it. I'll come back to that. It's very important. He also made the utensils that would be on the table out of pure gold. It's plates, cups, and it's bowls and pitchers for drink offerings. Look at Exodus 40, verse 22. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside of the curtain. I want to show you a picture of what that will look like on the inside of the tabernacle, right? So the priest comes from the water basin where he just washed. He goes in, first stop, there on the north side, on the right, first stop, table of showbread, the table of the presence or face bread. Now here's what you would have when you come there. You would have had two golden plates, each with six loaves of unleavened bread stacked with a cup of wine up on the top of each golden plate. There would also be a cup of frankincense that would be burned. Some of you women are in burning scents in your house. Candles, right? Frankincense, a sweet-smelling aroma used in worship. There would also have been a golden pitcher full of wine used for the drink offering. And so every time the priest walked in, he would see this table. Here's what it reminded him of. 12 loaves of bread, 12 tribes of Israel. God had laid it out. No sin, no leaven. God has made them holy. The wine and the frankincense were there to symbolize God's completion as an act of worship. Let me break this down for you a little bit. Here's what we know in Numbers chapter 15. God told them that to add the wine once they arrived in the promised land. It's almost as if while they were traveling through the wilderness, God wouldn't have the cup of wine with his people. But once they settled in the land, God promised them, according to Numbers 15, then they brought in the wine for the table. That's very important. Don't miss that. While they were traveling through the wilderness, God didn't have the wine cup with them. But once they settled in the land... The wine was added. God here is making a covenant around, the, around this table. Now listen, here's what would happen. The priests would bake the unleavened bread on the day before Sabbath. Then they would go in on the Sabbath and they would lay, they would take the bread of the past week out and add the new fresh baked bread. The bread would then set on the table, catch this, for seven days. Everybody shout seven days. And there's, a re- there's reasons for this, for seven days. Now, the bread that they just took off the table, guess what would happen? Right there in the tabernacle, 
the priest would then stay inside the holy place and eat the seven-day-old bread, and then you'd have the wine as the drink offering to be poured out and, of course, to be used while you ate the bread of the table. And that was symbolic of having a meal with God. Every seven days, the priest had a meal with God, reminding themselves that God has made a covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel and that it is complete. Once they got into the land of Israel, they added the wine because wine is a symbol of celebration of completion. That God got them to the land he promised. A wine is a celebration of completion. And so then they would eat the bread because God made a covenant at the meal table. They drink the cup. God has accomplished what he did. What is happening here is, is three things. They come to the table and they then they would burn frankincense because as they worshiped God, they would burn the sweet smell and aroma as a part of their worship. So they're remembering, they're celebrating, and they're worshiping with an offering. Here are three things that that table represented to every priest who ever walked in that room that God has given us three things. Write them down. Provision, protection, and His presence. Say them out loud with me. Ready? God has granted us provision. How many of you believe that God is a God who provides all that we need? He's a God of protection. How many believe God watches over His people? And how many know that God goes with you even in those moments where you feel like you're in the desert all alone? His presence goes with you. Now here's the deal. So when they come to the table, why did God have them have this table inside of the tabernacle? It's so that they would never forget what God has done, shout past tense, has done. Why do we need to never forget what God has done? Because when you look back and you remember what God has done for you, it builds up your faith for what God is doing in your present. Now think about this. This is very applicable for us right now with the world we're in right now. Not only do we need to be looking back and celebrating what God has done so that we have faith to get through what we're going through in the moment, but everyone in our world right now is a little worried about the future, right? So why did God have them come back to the table? They came back to the table no matter what was going on in the world to look back at the God who has acted on their behalf. He has protected. He has provided. His presence has been with them even in the wilderness. So if God was with them then, they're reminded God is with us now. Wait a minute. And God will be with us in our future. Past, present, and future. How many know God promises he will? Here's what I want you to write down on your message notes. There's really only two main application points that I want you to get a hold of today. And here's the first one. Write this down. We worship God by acknowledging our dependence on Him and, his, and recognizing His provisions for us. See, the table is a symbol of worship. And when they come into the tabernacle, the priest would worship. And when you worship, worship is casting worth upon God. It's not just simply music. It can include music, but it doesn't have to. It, it can include words. It doesn't have to include words. It can include raising hands. It doesn't have to have raising of hands. It can include tears. It doesn't have to have tears. It's an act of worship. It's an act of casting worth. And at this point at the table, it is acknowledging the dependence we've had on God. We would, listen, 
Israel knew they would have never gotten out of Egypt had God not fought for them. Had God not sent the plagues. They would have never gotten out of slavery. It also reminded them that they did not know where they were going and they couldn't provide for their needs. So not only when they came to the table did they remember the God who got them out of Egypt, but they also remembered the God who sustained them in the wilderness and the God who provided a new land flowing milk and honey. The God who got me through it stayed with me in it and took me where he wanted me to go. Amen, are you with me? Now, so this table is a place of worship. Now, here's something you need to know about worship. Write this down. Worship requires discipline and gratitude. (laughs) Say those two words with me. Are you ready? Worship requires discipline and gratitude. And if if you miss either one of those, if you miss either one of those in your worship, Listen to me, I'm going to tell you, your worship will never reach its fulfillment. You'll, you'll never know the true intimacy that God wants you to have because, listen, you've got to have some discipline in your worship. Now, what do I mean by discipline in your worship? Think about what God did with these uh, Israelites. So they come in, and they had to put bread on the table for seven days. Now, if you put a fresh, uh, 12 fresh loaves of bread on a table, you know what that smells like, Right? How many of you want to sit there and look at it for seven days and not take a bite? When you know at the end of seven days I get to eat that, but you're thinking the whole time you're putting it out, it won't be near as good in seven days as it is right now. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You can't even wait till your wife gets the biscuit out of the oven before you done got your finger in one. Come on, somebody. And, and, And so the priest, listen, here we go. Watch this. Look at the discipline here. And, and look at the gratitude. The first step they would do is they would look at it and remind, be reminded that God provided for them. That's act of gratitude, looking at the bread. But then the fact they couldn't eat the bread for seven days was an act of discipline. Do you know 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, All of us are tempted in three areas. The lust of our flesh, the lust of our eye, and the pride of life. And all three of those, they got dealt with when you look at the bread and you can't eat it. I want it, I need it, who's going to tell me I can't have it? Come on, somebody. But true worship involves discipline and gratitude. Now watch this. The third part of this was an offering. Numbers chapter 15 tells us that God told them, when you enter into the land... You're to take a pinch of the dough and dedicate that to the Lord on every loaf of bread. Not just in the tabernacle, but any loaf of bread. That's why today if you go to a Jewish market, a Jewish bakery, and you you buy a loaf of bread, most likely a piece of the end of it is going to be pinched off. And you think, something got in there and ate my bread. No, it's kosher. It has been tithed. To the Lord. This pinching off was to be done, the scripture says in Numbers chapter 15, look at verse 21. Throughout your generations, you're to give to the Lord a contribution from the first batch of your dough. Somebody shout from the first batch of your dough. Guess what? We have a saying in English that comes from this pattern of 3,400 years ago when God said, Take a pinch of the dough and dedicate it to the Lord. How many of you have ever talked about your money as dough? How much dough is that going to cost me? 
How much dough is that worth? That phrase, dough and money, comes from Numbers chapter 15, and it's a symbol of tithes, and then when you burn the frankincense, it's a symbol of an offering, a free will offering. Watch this. You come to the table. This is so awesome. 3,400 years ago, God said, look at what I've done for you. I've made a covenant and I've provided for you. Take the drink of the cup and celebrate that it's been completed. Give back an act of worship in your discipline. Tithes and offerings. This is why in our church, when we take up tithes and offerings, we say it's an act of worship. That's a practice going back 3,400 years ago. Now, why would we discipline ourselves and why do we worship this way? 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 says this, we love him. How many love the Lord today? We love him. Right, watch this. We love him because he first loved us. And can I tell you that everything I just explained to you about that table 3,400 years ago, every piece of it is a shadow of a greater covenant that God would provide for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah 31, God said, And behold, I'm bringing a new covenant where I'll write my laws upon your heart and upon your mind. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The covenant God made that one day the seed of the woman would come and deliver us. And it's through Jesus Christ. On your message notes, here's what I want you to write down. And at this table, here's what we are reminded. That God has sealed the covenant with us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Every piece of this tabernacle is a shadow of Jesus Christ. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 1. Read it there off your message notes with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we observed His glory as the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's how John described Jesus. Look in John 6 at how Jesus describes himself. I am the bread of life. No one comes to me. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. Jesus says, I am the bread. You say, Pastor, how's all this a shadow of Jesus? Well, you remember when we read in Exodus how God told Moses to build this table? You remember we read that verse a moment ago? And do you remember how he had it made? He had it made out of Achaia wood overlaid with what? Gold. Wood in the Old Testament is symbolic of humanity. Gold. Remember everything outside the tabernacle we've studied so far was made out of bronze. Overlaid with bronze, the judgment of God, but not in the holy place. Everything in here is overlaid with gold because gold is a symbol of the divinity, the deity of God. So I want you to catch this. When the priests came up to this table, what did they see? They saw that God would envelop humanity. And when God enveloped humanity, now we understand John 1, 1, when the Word was in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now we understand when He says, and this Word we beheld His glory as the only begotten Son of God. Now when Jesus stood up in John chapter 6 and says, Behold, I am the bread of life. If you'll come to me, you'll never be hungry 
Again, that bread represents Jesus. Write this down. That bread represents his body that would be broken upon the cross, the sacrifice for our sins. But then Jesus said, but there's also blood because you can't have a sacrifice without blood. And the night the Lord had his last supper with his disciples, he held up a cup of wine and he said, drink this cup of wine. This is the blood of the new covenant that I'm making with you. The cup of completion. Your salvation is complete when it's in Jesus Christ through his blood. What about frankincense? What does that mean? Where does that come into play in the shadow? Frankincense is an offering. I want to tell you that Jesus freely gave his life as an offering for your sins and your salvation. No man took his life from him. He freely gave it all. I want you to look at Luke chapter 22 on your message notes. There at home, read them out loud with us, okay? And I want you to see that hours before his crucifixion, Jesus came around a table one more time. And at this table, he sat with his disciples. And at the table, here's what Jesus says. He says, from now on, watch this. From now on, I won't drink from this cup with you again until the kingdom of God comes. But now, take, eat of this bread. He took it, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples. And he says, eat this. For this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And he gave it to his disciples and he says, which is poured out for you. And Jesus did this freely. Because here's the big takeaway. Here's what I need you to get a hold of today. I, I don't want you to miss this. Everything that we lost in the garden when man sinned in the garden. Everything you lost and I lost. Think about it. What did we lose when Adam and Eve sinned? We lost communion with God the Father. The Bible says Adam and Eve were told that if they ate of the fruit, they would die. Did Adam and Eve die in the garden? Yes. And no. Yes, they died instantly in their spirit. Because remember, God's triune, he made you triune. You are body, your soul, your spirit. Man became lost. We became sinners at that very moment. We lost that connection with God. We lost it. We were spiritually dead. Adam and Eve died spiritually that day. They died progressively in their soul. The mind, the will, the emotions. How many of you would agree that it seems like the further we get away from the Garden of Eden, men grow worse and worse and worse? Morality. The more we stay away from God, only declines. It doesn't increase. Amen. How many of you are shocked at just how far we can go as a, as a, as a nation in five years? As a culture? And how many know that all of us, the moment we're born, the moment we're born, we begin a process of dying physically? Can I tell you what this table needs to remind you of? That God has made a covenant through His Son Jesus that if you would put your trust in Him and come to the bread of life, He'll satisfy your spiritual hunger. That through His blood, your salvation is complete. 
That Jesus freely gave Himself up for you. And that everything you lost in the garden, God gives you back when you come to faith in Jesus. You have a relationship again with God the Father. And watch this. Are you ready for this? This is so good. Man died instantly in sin. Guess what? The moment you confess the Lord Jesus and receive Him as your Savior, you are saved instantly in your spirit. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There ain't enough bleach in hell to get your name out of the books. Amen. Amen. Why? Because it's sealed in the completed blood of Christ. Now you begin the process of being saved in your mind, your will, and emotions. How many know that Jesus starts changing the way you think? Changing the way you feel? Changes the way you talk? Changes the way you, you live? That's called a process. Amen? How many is in the process today? Because how many thank God you're in a process? Look at your neighbor and tell him, don't judge me yet, I'm not done. And listen, one day you're going to get a new glorified body in heaven that will never be sick, never have pain, sorrow, or death again. We're not just living on this side of the grave. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a lot more time on the other side. We've got eternity with Jesus. Amen? Everything you lost in the garden, God's given back to you. In Jesus. How many of you are grateful to our Lord today? Amen. Would you stand with me? If you're grateful to the Lord, I want us to stand and sing about the goodness of God this morning. And while we sing about the goodness of God, I'll come back at the end of the song. We're going to take communion just before we leave. How many know the goodness of God is real today? Amen. Amen. I want us to sing this song out to the Lord. If you're thankful for what God has given you, in Jesus. He gave you the shadow of it 3,400 years ago. If you're thankful today for Jesus and, to get, and God invites you to come to his table and fellowship with him, would you sing this out with all you got, okay? Lift up your voices right there at home. We want you to sing it with us right now. Let's sing Goodness of God.
to the table you remember what God has done and how that God has been there in the past for you and he provides what you need in the present and he has promised he'll go with you in the future and that isn't any more clear than what Jesus has already done for us for God sent his son Jesus went freely to the cross to pay your sin debt. If he would pay your sin debt, there's nothing off limits to him from that point on in your life. If you can believe and trust in what Jesus has done on the cross and receive that today, you can have all your sins forgiven 
And you can have eternal life instantly, right here, right now. And you can have the promise that He'll go with you, whatever you're facing in the present. And He'll begin to work on you and transform you to be everything He wants you to be. And He assures you that in your future, you'll find that He is right there with you, preparing a place for you in heaven. Amen? Thank you for joining us today for the Pursuit Podcast. For more content, to read our blog, watch past sermons, or find other great resources, check us out at chrisvaught.net, and then check us out on social media. Then tune in again next week, and we will open our Bibles and together pursue after the heart of God. Thank you again for joining us at The Pursuit. Thank you for joining us today for The Pursuit Podcast. For more content, to read our